before we begin. Okay, so class, this is class 35, chapter three, yoga of action. We're on topic two, verses four to 19. Intellectual appeal for action. Krishna explains to Arjuna why action is inevitable. Why? Because of our vasanas. Vasanas propels us to act. He must fight. Those are his vasanas. He's a warrior, so he has to fight. He's a man of action. So as a karma yogi, remember there's three paths to spiritual development, self-realization. Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, and Jnana Yoga. Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion. Karma Yoga, path of action. And Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge. Those are the three paths given to us human beings to reach our goal. And the path you would choose would be based on your inherent nature. So, Arjuna is a man of action. So, karma yoga is the path given to him. But both, with both karma yoga and bhakti yoga, you do need knowledge. Even a little bit of knowledge. You need knowledge to understand why, how to, to walk that path. So a karma yogi, a man of action, we're covering karma yoga between chapters one and six of the Gita. As a karma yogi, a man of action, you perform action with a higher unselfish ideal. That's all karma yoga is, acting in life with a higher ideal. So you go through the action, you enjoy that action, whatever that may be but your thoughts are on the higher, Brahman, God. And if you function in this way, then the result is you will reduce your desires whilst you're acting in the world. While you're exhausting your vasanas, you're reducing them. So in a nutshell, this is karma yoga, spiritual development through the path of action. Any, any questions on that? Does that make sense, Vanita? Make sense? So in the Gita, it covers all three paths from the 18 chapters. Six chapters for each path is given. And what you will find as we study this is that some chapters you, you find more enchanting. You'll find some chapters more enchanting because it talks to you because you're that way inclined. Let's say you're a devotional person. When we cover bhakti yoga, you'll, you'll feel so much more uh, involved. You'll, you know, it'll inspire you so much because you're a person um, who's more devotional. When it comes to the path of knowledge, jnana yoga, when it covers that, person who's intellectual, he'll be very inspired, you see? So that's how it works, so that's how it works. Now, what are you? Well, as we go along, you'll see what you are by what, insp what inspires you. So last week we covered verse nine of this chapter, which explained what yagna sacrifice is, meaning what karma yoga is. 
Verse 9, it said, we all have to act in life. We are all bound by action in the world due to our vasanas, which we all know. But we have a choice. We can either act with self-centered, selfish desires, which increases our vasanas, our desires, or we can perform actions in the spirit of the yajna sacrifice. which means sacrificial activity dedicated to a higher cause. So to a common per person, when you say yajna, they understand it as a ritual involving fire, oven. As we mentioned, you buy a new home, some people do a yajna, fire worship, to bless the, the property, to bless all the people who are going to live in that property. When you get married, you do a yajna sacrifice. Bless this couple who are getting married, that they have a happy life. This is how yajna is generally done. And we covered that the way yajna is done is that you put grains in the fire. The flame shoots up. When this happens, you're invoking the fire god, Lord Agni. And when the flame shoots up, it's the blessing from the fire god, blessing from Lord Agni. And everyone participating in that ritual is blessed by the god, Lord Agni. Then what is left is the ashes. The priest gives everyone who is there some ashes as prasad and they smear it on their forehead as three stripes. You've passed the stage of Tamas, Rajas, and Sattva. Afterwards, you go to the local temple or the temple in your house. And then you pray. Means you become one with God. You've reached that goal of self-realization. This is what it represents. And we said fire represents the unseen reality, Brahman, which is beyond the world. It's the first element that can be seen, that is subtle. This yajna sacrifice is a ritual, but what it signifies is how in life we can convert all our actions into worship, karma yoga. The grains, when you put them in the fire, represents our vasanas, our desires. I'm dissolving my vasanas, my desires, that's the grains. Bless me, God so I can reach that goal. And the flame shoots up to bless you. So, when we direct all our actions to our higher ideal, we begin to eliminate, reduce our vastness. And we don't create more vastness. And this is the goal. We need to reduce our vastness because when you reduce them, it unveils the self. God plus vasanas equals human being. As you reduce the vasanas, it exposes the godhood in you. Non-yajna actions create more vasanas and attaches us greater to the world. So in a nutshell, you can say unselfish, selfish. Non-yajna activity is selfish. Yajna activities are unselfish. So Krishna advises Arjuna to treat the battle as a yajna. Perform his actions to fight for a higher ideal. To reach the goal of self-realization. That was verse 9. Very deep. See in the Gita, you get one verse, it can change your life. You understand verse 9? That's it. You understand karma yoga. You don't have to worry about the next four chapters. Just practice unselfish actions and you'll get there. That's it. But because we don't get it, we have to go on and on until the penny drops. Because <laughs> we're so attached to the world. It's so hard to, to let go. Any questions?
So, you know, when you were saying about vasanas, okay, eliminating our vasanas. Mm. So, I don't know whether this is related or not, but we're all made up of the three temperaments. So, is that related to vasanas in any way? So, if, you know, if we're thinking about somebody who is rajasic or tamasic, for example, would they find it more difficult to eliminate their vasanas or even strive to eliminate their, eliminate their vasanas because they have more predominant of tamas and rajas? And somebody who is more sattvic would find it easier, to example, for example, to, I don't know, act more unselfishly mm. and reduce because we don't know what our vasanas are they can crop up at any time right that's our dna mm. as such but does the three temperaments correlate in any way well actually does everyone understand their question Sil's question does the three temperaments tamasra jasatik correlate to vasanas it actually it's actually covered in the verse 12 and 13 which we may get to today uh, but in a nutshell tamasic means lazy yeah, he may have vastness, but can't be bothered. He gets frustrated, yeah? So chances of him even thinking about reducing his vastness, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, yeah? Because why would he want to reduce his vastness? He has to understand that's my goal in life. But he's so lazy, yeah? He, he has no interest. Rajasik person is is a person who runs around all day trying to gain more and more material objects, more wealth. And that's basically all he's interested in. In order to understand what we've covered today, you have to have some sattvic nature within you to understand that this is my goal in life. I am a rajasic person, but I need to reach that goal because I want to be liberated from this world, from this life. Now to understand that, you need knowledge. So who can understand this knowledge? You need that sattvicness in you. Does that, does that make sense? Because sattvic is the highest nature. So only sattva within you can relate to this knowledge. So whatever proportion of sattva you have, that's how much you will understand it. And then it's up to you, depending on how much worldly vasanas you have, that your decision, which way to go. It's about understanding. So then would you say that, um, you know, because we hear quite frequently, reduce your vasanas or reduce your desires to get to godhood. Mm. But So should we concentrate on you know, reducing our desires or should we concentrate on becoming more sattvic? Because I'm assuming from what you've just said that if we concentrate on becoming more sattvic, the rest will follow. So as you become more sattvic, all your gross vasanas will automatically reduce. Because as you gain knowledge, you understand, I'm not interested in going on this holiday. I'm not interested in buying this or experiencing this because it's not going to take me to my goal. So automatically gross vasanas reduce. And what's left are higher vasanas of spiritual development. How can I get to this goal? And they're fewer than the rajasic and the tamasic vasanas. So the knowledge helps you to reduce it. When, how do you gain the knowledge? Your sattvic nature within you relates to this knowledge. The subtlety of it. Rajasik will think this knowledge I'm getting, how can I convert that to wealth? What can I do to make money from this knowledge? How can I imply, a, 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 how can I become better at actions so I can make more money? They may use this knowledge in a different way for material wealth, for material gain until they reach that stage. And it's done. You know, a lot of people use spiritual knowledge to make money. 
you see so many like fake gurus and sadhus and stuff, and then they get exposed. They're using this knowledge to make money. Is that okay? Any clarifications? Any further questions on that? Did everyone understand that? Yeah? If you don't, don't worry, because as we go along, it'll come clear. But did we get the drift of what Sittal was asking? Nilam? Yeah? Arunabhan? Good. Okay. Verse 10. Sahayaj na praja sristva puru vacha praja patihi ane na prasavisyad vam esa vostistakamadu Sahayaj na praja sristva puru vacha praja patihi Anena prasavisyadvam esa vostvistakamadu. The Creator, having in the beginning created mankind together with yajna sacrifice, said, By this shall you propagate. Let this be the milch cow of your desired objects. So, in the last verse, explained what yajna sacrifice is. Performing your actions to a higher ideal. Everyone got that, yes? Everyone understood that. So, in the next few verses, 10, 11, 12, and 13, it says the same thing. It explains saying karma yoga, yajna sacrifice, but in different ways. It's dramatized. Remember, Arjuna is on the floor, he can't think straight. So Krishna has to explain in different ways so that he does get it. He has to talk in different languages so he does understand it. So the next four verses explains the same thing, but in different ways. Nilam, could you read paragraph one, please? Yep. The true meaning of yajna was introduced in the preceding verse. Yajna means sacrificial actions dedicated to a higher ideal. Only human beings have the capacity to sacrifice their self-centered interest for the purpose of a higher cause. No other creature can even conceive it, much less make such a sacrifice. Human beings alone enjoy this rare gift. Through sacrifice, one gains material prosperity and mental peace in the world. The verse dramatically presents the idea that the creator created humanity together with Yajna, declaring, by this may you propagate. Let this be the milch cow of your desired objects. So milch cow, I'll explain a bit later in this verse what it is, but imagine a genie, for example. Yeah, you can, say, you can, you can replace that milch cow with a genie if you wish. Yeah. It says that the creator has created yajna, sacrifice, and humans together, part and parcel. Please don't take this literally. It just means that only humans can act in the spirit of sacrifice. Only humans can behave, perform actions unselfishly. No other creature can perform yajna to a degree, unselfish actions. For example, you have two dogs living together, one big and one small. They play together. They can't stay without each other. And one is not there, the other one is sad. But when it comes time to eat, you have to bring the food in two bowls. The bigger dog cannot say to the little one after you. They both start fighting. You see, if you need, when you see a dog eat, how quickly he eats it. The food. So animals can't perform yajna sacrifice, behave in this way. Only humans can act in this way. So what this verse is saying is when you perform yajna activities, unselfish actions, the result, the result of that is we attain peace and happiness. 
Only humans can do this. Only humans can reach that state, the fourth state of self-realization. Animals cannot get there. That's why you say to be born as a human being is a blessing. Because only for, as a human being you can get to that next stage. So don't waste it. Don't waste this life as a human being. Try and get to that goal. Any questions? Vijay make sense? Good. Neelam, paragraph two, please. Yajna activities are endowed with two distinct benefits. First, they increase your productivity and prosperity. The higher the ideal you choose in life, the greater the potential to your work. A high ideal generates more energy to work. You produce more, you prosper. Secondly, when you identify with a higher cause, the desires pertaining to the lower strata automatically diminish and fall off. By aspiring for self-realization, you move up to the higher stratum. Thus, by gradual escalation of your goal in conjunction with your capacity to sacrifice, you rise above all your desires. You gain mental peace and bliss. So what this paragraph is saying is the higher the ideal, the more you're able to work. And this increases productivity and prosperity. How, can, how is that possible? Any idea? The higher the ideal, the more you're able to work. And the more you work, the more productive you are, isn't it? Yeah. You go to work, the more hours you put in, the more money you earn. So the harder you work, it increases productivity. More money you earn, you become more prosperous. So how does that work? The higher the ideal, the more you're able to work. Yeah, Nilam? Um, when you're focused on a higher ideal, you ha have less mental agitation because you're not caught up in what am I going to get from this and all the Perfect. selfish desires. And so with that kind of focus, you have more clarity um, and hence more productivity. Yeah, because what you're absolutely right, Neelam. So what happens is mental agitation saps your energy. And when you saps your energy, you can't put it into whatever you're doing. Oh, I'm so stressed out. I'm so tired. Mentally, you're tired because you're agitated. Mental agitations. Does that make sense? It's that mental energy that's dissipated, which creates that feeling of tiredness. So when you're working for a higher ideal, you're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of that higher goal. So you're able to work harder and you prosper more. And when you work towards the higher ideal, your lower desires fall away. This is the mechanism of it. Your personal, selfish, lower desires fall away. Example, the scientists who look for the COVID vaccine. How did they work? The ideal was to save humanity from this terrible disease. People are dying in all the, all the countries in the world. People are dying. Were they interested in money? name, fame, would that have been in their minds? Maybe, but the chances are that they're thinking of how can I create a new vaccine to help society, help humanity? Did they start thinking about going to movies, parties? These desires were, would have fallen away. One focus, 24 hours a day, one objective. How can I create this vaccine? And they achieved it. And the result was they got name, fame, wealth. This is how it works. That's the best, best example I could come up with. They didn't think of name, fame when they were making the vaccine. They just worked hard at it. Higher ideal, how can I save human lives? See, if you think about it, when the scientists were working, the major pharmaceutical companies funded them saying, we will, we will fund your work. 
because they want the results so they can make the money. But the scientists themselves, they may not be interested in making money. You with me? What their goal was to help humanity, higher ideal. And can you imagine the satisfaction when they reached that and people, it was saving people's lives. Can you imagine how they must have felt because of their hard work? So when you're working in this way, you rise above all your personal worldly selfish desires. You're just focusing on that higher ideal. Same thing. Any questions? Okay, next paragraph. Milch cow refers to the mythological cow of sage Bashista called Gamendu, Kamedenu. In the myth, Kamedenu is endowed with certain divine qualities. It has the ability to grant any wish asked of it. Yajniak activities are compared to this cow since they will also satisfy all desires and thus give peace. So it's a myth mythological uh, animal, cow, um, Kamadenu. It's a story. This cow called Kamadenu had the capacity to give anything you demand, able to grant any wish. So Yajnya is compared to this animal since when we practice yajna, the result is that it satisfies and fulfills all our desires, just like the magical cow. That's why I said you can say genie. Yeah, it's a mythological uh, concept. God is saying, this is a gift I'm giving you. And through this gift, you enjoy your desired objects. So enjoy life. Do fulfill your desires. But don't forget the goal. And this is how you can perform your actions and reach that goal. Like I said, it's drama. Krishna is explaining to Arjuna in ways that he would understand it. He may have heard of this milch cow kamadenu. So Krishna may have said to Arjuna, it's the same like this, yagniya sacrifice. You heard of kamadenu? This, this is the same as that. Then Arjuna will say, oh yes, it's okay, I understand. Next verse. Desires are like bacteria. They multiply fast if not checked. They cause the diseases of the mind. Desires produce mental agitations and sorrow. They ruin concentration and productivity in work. Realize the nature of your desires. Pitch your ideal high above them. Fix an unselfish goal in life. Do not let selfish desires interfere with the path of your chosen ideal. Let your intellect, not your desires, guide your actions towards that goal. Then work tirelessly and you will achieve prosperity and peace. The unrelenting law of nature is that you get what you deserve, not what you desire. Deserve, never desire. Rise above desire and the object of desire seeks you. The moment you start desiring, craving, asking, begging, the object of desire leaves you. Continue to work selflessly in a spirit of yajna, and both material and spiritual benefits will be showered upon you. That is the law. Thank you. Yeah. So what does that... This is very interesting, this verse. We've covered some of it already before. But it says, desires are like bacteria, meaning it can increase very fast. It can cause diseases of the mind. You can go mad. I'm not going to give examples, but desires can create madness. There's quite a few examples in history. So Hitler had a strong desire. Everyone must be blonde and blue eyes. But madness in Shakespeare covers a lot of this. Hamlet, Othello, Othello went mad. Desires. Desires produce mental agitations, sorrow. How does it make you? How does desires produce mental agitations and sorrow? Any idea? How does 
desires produce mental agitations and sorrow. What happens when you have a desire? When we have desire, it's a want. You want it. And what happens when that want isn't fulfilled? Then you get upset about it. And then you blame everybody around you. You get agitated. Yeah. You get upset. So desires produce mental agitations and sorrow. Thank you, Kilabin. Unfulfilled desires makes the mind agitated. And this produces unhappiness. Why can't I have that? You're unhappy, sorrowful, because you didn't get what you wanted. The desire wasn't fulfilled, whatever that may be. So as we already covered previously, when this happens, you can't concentrate on what you're doing. You can't concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing, so you're not productive. You want your husband to take you out for dinner. He says, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Cooking, you start cooking his meal. Your mind is agitated. It's not going to come out nice, is it, the food? <laughs> Why not? I only ask him one time. You put too much salt, too much masala, because you're not concentrating. Your mind is agitated. <laughs> this is how it works. That's a simple example. You can't concentrate on what you're doing. So you don't, you're not productive. While we're at it, what is concentration? What is concentration? We've covered this in the past. I just, I just mentioned that when your mind is agitated, yeah, you're agitated, you can't concentrate on what you're doing. So my question to you is, what is concentration? Uh, a, a single focus on what you want to achieve. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you, Shilabin. You're absolutely right. Anybody else? What is concentration? Deepabin. It's when you're not thinking about the past or the future, so you're in the moment. Absolutely. The intellect's ability to keep the mind on the present action. The intellect's ability to keep the mind on the present action, the work at hand, without letting it waver in the past or the future. The mind can go anywhere. And that's concentration. You try it. And sometimes you, st you know, I'm doing the morning study. The mind jumps to, oh, last night this happened, that happened, or what's, what am I gonna, what's gonna happen today? What's the day, uh, what, what have I got lined up for today? I can't concentrate on the studies. So you have to get the intellect to say, okay, yesterday's gone, it doesn't matter. Today we'll deal with later. Right now we're, we're studying, let's concentrate on that. The intellect has to tell the mind, mind comes back. If it's powerful enough, the intellect. And then you study. So the intellect's ability to bring the mind back to the present action. That's concentration. So another thing this verse is saying is, fix a unselfish goal, something beyond, beyond your own selfish interest, then let the intellect guide you to that goal, whatever it may be. You get what you deserve, not what you desire. Very interesting. You desire everything. You get what you deserve. What does that mean? What's, what do you get? Deserve. What do you, what do you, what does it mean? You get what you deserve, not your desire. Get what you deserve. Vanita? Does it mean that you get what you work towards? Like, if depends on how much input you put into that amount of work. So you reap the rewards that much. If you're not paying 100%, then you're not going to get 100%. Absolutely. You need to put the effort in what you want. 
Another way is karma. Right now, you got everything based on your past actions, your karma. Same thing. You have now what you deserve based on your past action, not what you desire. You are where you are in life based on your past actions. All of you are in a good place. You're all here Sunday morning receiving this knowledge. You can change your life. You can, you can take your life to whichever way you want. This knowledge allows you to be objective in your life. So you're all in a good place. So if you act in this way in life, then you're progressing on the spiritual path. That's that verse we just covered. Any questions? There's a lot of uh, basic information there about if that paragraph brings the whole of Vedanta into one paragraph. Any questions on that? Okay, verse eleven. De deva bhavayantu vaha parasparam bhavayantaha shriya paramavapsyata. Nourish the gods with this and may those gods nourish you. Nourishing one another, you shall attain the supreme good. So nourish the gods with this and may those gods nourish you. Nourish one another, you shall attain the supreme good. Any idea what that means? Any idea what that could mean? Another way of saying the same thing. This is uh, Krishna's explaining Yajna sacrifice from a different perspective. From a different perspective. From a, this, this verse, probably from a bhakti, from a devotional perspective. Lord Krishna advises that if you practice yajna, it appeases the gods. And it, in return, the gods nourish you, helps you. And this process, you'll reach enlightenment. So verse 9 explained it straightforwardly. You don't understand it. Verse 10 Explained it in a different way. Yeah. Desires. God created you with yajna sacrifice. Now, number 11, it's saying, you do this, gods will be happy, and they will shower you with these blessings. Same thing, another way. You'll reach enlightenment. You'll get whatever you want. As nourish means gratitude, daily gratitude. You will, we're going to cover that now in this verse. You're absolutely right. Gods represent all human activities. Wherever the mind went to in the world, there was a God placed by these great sages. They divinized all human beings' goals. All material goals are divinized. God of wealth, Lakshmi. God of knowledge, Saraswati. God of strength. Shiva? Shiva. So whatever you aspire to in the world, there was a God placed there by these great saints so that human beings don't forget God. Very easy to forget God. So God represents limited worldly goals. So when you're aspiring for wealth, You'll do puja every day to Goddess Lakshmi. When you're aspiring for knowledge, exams, you'll do puja for God, Saras for Lakshmi, uh, Saraswati. 
Shiva, give me strength. Um, these different gods, Han Hanuman, give me strength. These different gods were placed there so that whenever you wanted something material, you'd pray to that God. And in that way, you're remembering God, even though it's for selfish reasons. At least your mind is on God and you don't forget God. Allows us to remember God in all worldly activities. So when we are performing work with the spirit of unselfishness, yajna, we're divinizing our work by thinking of Brahman while performing the work. God, while I'm performing my duty, please help me to reduce my vastness. Please help me so I can reach my goal as a human being. I want to be enlightened. That could be your highest goal. So whenever you're doing anything in life, you're saying, this is my goal. Yeah? So whatever you're doing, whenever you're doing, you're thinking of God. So then what happens? What, what are you doing every day then? When you're doing, if you behave in, when you act in this way, what actually are you doing? Yeah, Vanita? Reducing your vastness. Reducing your vastness, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> what else? When you, be, when you act in this way, thinking of God all the time, What are you doing? Seeking the higher goal. Higher goal, yes. Damesh? More importantly, is you're not making new vastness. Making vastness, yeah. All of you are correct. Nilam? Your life becomes um, worship. So everything you do is through worship. Perfect. Any actions you do, any work you do becomes worship. But right now we go to a temple in the morning or our prayer room, two minutes of prayers, we bow down, prostrate, and that's it. We forget about God until the next morning. Yeah, I've done my prayers for today. This way you're praying to God throughout the day because everything, any action you do is to the higher, worship. You don't need to go to a temple to pray then. Everything you do throughout the day becomes prayer. Your whole life becomes worship. Worship to the higher. So this is karma yoga. Spiritual path to self-realization for a man of action. Karma yogi. Vanita, could you read? Forget the first verse, first paragraph, sorry. Devas means gods. Though used in the plural, it does not mean Hinduism in a polytheistic religion. In fact, Hinduism always speaks of one God, the Supreme Self in all beings, Atman, Brahman. The gods and the goddesses of the Hindu Pantheon merely represents the power and functions of one supreme God in the manifest world. The master plan of the Hindu sages was to divinize everything in the world since all individuals' attention has always been attracted to the world. This ingenious plan, all worldly pursuits remind people of the supreme within sorry, supreme, even as they are in, engaged in the objects of desire. For example, wealth has been personified as goddess, goddess Lakshmi. So someone running after material wealth remembers the goddess in all his transactions. Another pursuing knowledge remembers goddess Saraswati as the personification of knowledge. Thus, one's mind is elevated to the higher, even as one pursues worldly gains. 
Dev is used there here, therefore, symbolizes the entire sphere of human activities. Whatever you may pursue in this world, you do by remembering God. Do so in a spirit of yagna. Work then becomes worship. The inherent bounty in the field of activity will bless, will bless you. By divinizing your activities, thus the work with the working with dedication towards your cherished goals, you will reach, you will reach the ultimate goal of realization. Thank you. So there is only one God in Hinduism, by the way. Yes, remember that. There's only one God, Brahman. All the other gods are limited gods in the world, as we said here, which have been created so that your mind will go to that God when you're pursuing that object in the world. So there's only one God. I remember I went once with, um, I went out with a friend of mine's who was a Muslim person. And he asked me a question. Why are there thousands of gods in Hinduism? And this is generally the, how people perceive Hinduism. Hundreds of gods. How can there be so many gods? There's only one God. And he was right. I didn't want to go and explain all this to him. <laughs> but, he, but this is how everyone perceives Hinduism. I pray to this God. I pray to that God. There is only one God. And now you know today why so many gods are there. The sages divinized all human activities. Wherever the mind went in the world, there was a God placed there. Look at the sun. How bright it is. You think of Surya. Sun God. This is how what they did. The sages. Any questions? Okay, I want to finish this topic. So two more verses we have. Because they're all saying the same thing <laughs> in different ways. So you don't need to think too much about it. Verse 12. Istanbogani Bodeva. Dasyante yajna bhavitaha Tirdatana pradayebhyo Yobhungte stena evasaha Istan bhogani bhodeva Dasyante yajna bhavitaha Tirdatana pradayebhyo Verily, the gods nourished by sacrifice will give you the desired enjoyments. He who enjoys what is given by them without having offered to them is indeed a thief. He who enjoys what is given to them without giving back, is indeed a thief. What does this mean? What does that mean? Any idea? Yeah, Vanessa? If you're, if you're not working to your full capacity, then you're taking more than you deserve, I suppose, in some aspects. Okay. Anybody else want to take part on it? You've got to, it's like you've got to put in to get out, so you've got to earn it. It's not, you know, if it's just, if you're just taking all the time, put it that way, and you're not giving anything back. Okay. I don't know, man. I think take everything in a form of appreciation as well with thanks, not take things for granted and also always find a way to give something back. Mm, yeah. You'll, you'll 
sort of saying the same thing in a different way. See, all of us are debtors. All of us are debtors from birth. From birth, all the generosity that is bestowed on us from the moment we're born, we forget. What happens? First thing you're born, you receive your mother's milk. The environment that we live in. The hospital, the nurses. Oxygen. The oxygen that you breathe. The water you get from the tap to drink. Without these things, you can't live. Doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. These things are free. And you've been receiving that since the time you were born. How many of you think I need to repay that? How many of you, the thought even crosses your mind, I need to pay that back? You forget about food, about water and oxygen. If you don't have, if you don't have that, you die instantly. Survival depends on it. Everything you do, you can only do because of that. How many people appreciate it and say, thank you for the oxygen, thank you for the water today. I'm going to receive so that I can do, get on with my life. I can live my life. How many people? Does anyone feel blessed for receiving these things? We forget about it. We take it for granted. It's not, it's not one's fault. We all like that. But the scriptures makes you think. The list goes on. All the people that have helped you in your life growing up. Your parents, uncles, aunts, your teacher at school. Your friends who helped you get through those emotional moments when you're feeling down. Little things. When you fall down, someone helps you, picks, lifts you up. Even this knowledge you're now receiving. Can you ever repay any of that back? Can anyone put their hand up and says, yes, I've repaid that back, or I can repay that back? All the money in the world can't repay all you have received. You could be the richest person in the world and you still can't repay that. It makes you think. And what do we say? We want more. That's our attitude in life. We want more. No one's asking you for these things, by the way. Yes? You need to be aware of this. No one's saying, hey, this is your bill. <laughs> All the oxygen, water, everything that's happened, this is your bill. Yeah, No one's going to say that to you. But we should have an awareness of this in our life. Should be aware of it. Be aware of everything that you receive. At least be humble, have some humility. where you can repay in some small way, maybe for charitable services or some sacrifice, then you should take the opportunity. We should take that opportunity. When the opportunity arises, hey, I've got a chance to repay. Let me take, let me do that. Any opportunity you get, Take it. Any questions? Show some humility within. This helps you to become unselfish. So, 
Krishna describes three types of people based on their observance to the spirit of yajna. So a tamasic person, yajna. Rajasic person, yajna. Satric person, yajna. So based on the three different characters of people, tamas, tamas is the lowest, tamasika person is the lowest. Rajasika is the middle and Sattvika the highest caliber of a person. It explains these three characters and their ability to perform yajna sacrifice, unselfish actions, yeah? So this in the next verse. So it says, a tamasic person takes from society without even thinking of giving back anything in return. What's in it for me? I'm the most important person. What benefit can I get? In their mind, it is only take, take, and take. That's a tamasic person. So in this verse, these sort of people are referred to as a thief because they take from society without any thought of giving back. The thought even crosses their mind. How can I give back? It's only how can I get? What can I get from this situation? How can I benefit? That's a tamasic person. Any questions? Ravi. The first line of the verse virtually repeats the same message as the previous two verses. The difference lies in the grammar. This statement is in third person. Simple future tense rather than the imperative. The gods nourished by sacrifice will give you the desired objects. Perhaps Arjuna was bewildered when Krishna assumed the role of the creator himself and addressed him in the imperative mood. He still considers Krishna only as an old friend. So Krishna quickly returns to his original role and states the same truth in third person. This must have allied Arjuna's bewilderment, helping him to understand the importance of working in the spirit of yajna, sacrifice. In the second line of this verse and in the following verse, Krishna describes three types of people according to their adherence to or abandonment of the divine principle of yajna. They may be equated to the sattvika, the serene and highest quality of humans, the rajastic, the agitated majority, and the tamastic, the dull and lowest type. In this verse, he speaks of the lowest category of human beings, Tamasic. People are those who take freely from society without giving anything back to it. They merely consume without even the thought of producing. Such a person is called a thief, Stena. Someone with this trait causes great harm to himself. As Horace Greeley puts it, the darkest hour of life is when you plan to get money without earning it. Taking could refer to material gift, physical help, emotional support, or intellectual advice. From a philosophical viewpoint, you are a debtor from your very birth. You partake of oxygen, water, milk, atmospheric temperature and pressure, food and a million other resources and facilities from the day you are born. You must acknowledge every receipt, at least in spirit. Develop an awareness of all you perceive and of the providence that provides. Be grateful to the source of this benevolent and repay whenever and whatever you can. It is the spirit of repaying, not the actual compensation that matters. Prophet Muhammad pronounced, the best of you is he who is best at repaying. Thank you, Ravi. So it's not, no one's asking you, as I said, to pay back. Because you, can, you can't pay back. No one has the capacity to pay back everything they've received. It's impossible. But have that feeling, I'm blessed, I've received a lot. How can I help? 
and get, give something back to society. Have that thought, because that will create humility in you. Any questions? Okay, we're going to cover the last verse because it's the last verse of this particular thought flow. So it's not that long. Verse 13. Yaj nasis dasi nasanto mujyante sarvakil bisaha bunjate devagampa pa ye pachant yatmakaranat yaj nasis dasi nasanto mujyante sarvakil bisaha Punjate deva gampa pa ye pachant yatmakaranat. The righteous who eat the remnants of sacrifice are freed from all sins. But those sinners who cook for their own sake eat sin. So this covers the next two characters, Rajasika and Sattvika. So, as we said, Tamasika has no thought of giving back. All he can think of is taking. A Rajasika person has an agitated mind due, his, due to his selfish actions. He performs actions with selfish desires. And these mental agitations is regarded as sin. This person is a constant pursuit to gain more and more, but he never enjoys the fruit. Rajasika person. He never enjoys work, work, work without thinking, how much do I need for my life? Do I have the capacity to enjoy? You have, you know, some of these people have billions. How can, they can't enjoy that. How can they enjoy that? It's more than what they need in life. They were 70 years old and they've just, they got 2 billion pounds, 10 million pounds. They can't spend that. They don't think, how much do I need? Do I have the capacity to enjoy? Before he, by the time he gain, gets the money, he's old, body is frail, he can't enjoy all that they have created. It's crazy if you think about it. I have met people working, working, working all their life, 70, still working, and then ill health hits them. They're in bed their months to live and then they think what did I do I worked my whole life to get money I have a big bank balance now I'm going to die what was the point it's too late it's too late you scrimp and save you don't spend anything on yourself once you're gone trust me it's all gone Kids will enjoy it. In-laws, your son-in-law will enjoy it. Everyone will enjoy it. They won't care how long it took you to gather it. It's craziness to think about it. Rajasika person, this is how they behave. So Rajasika person cannot perform yajna sacrifice, meaning unselfish actions, because his actions are self-centered, selfish. Only thinks of himself and maybe his family. That's it. So a sattvika person, he acts righteously. He performs true sense of yajna. Only he can work for a higher cause unselfishly. I must reduce my vasanas. I don't want to come back to this birth. Eliminates his desire. Free from mental agitations, free from sins. Only this person finds true happiness in the world. Sattvika person. So this is what we need to aspire to, to become sattvic. Arunabhin. The description of the three types of people in terms of their capacity to perform yajna sacrifices continues here 
The last verse covered the Tamasika, the lowest among the human race. Here is the description of the Rajasika, the passionate and agitated forming the middle ranks and the Sattvika, the serene and the noble being the highest. The Rajasika are called sinners because of the agitated state of their minds. Selfish actions performed with egocentric desires create mental agitations. Any action causing such agitations is a sin. The Rajasika work ceaselessly to satisfy their self-centered desires. Their only occupation in life is to gain more and more material acquisitions and sensual pleasures. Their gross and selfish attitude harasses them with worries and anxieties, stress and strain. They gain only mental agitation, indicated here as thin. They merely cook, acquire, but never eat, enjoy. Such is the madness of mankind. As the saying goes, fools build houses, the wise live in them. The Sattvika provide a striking contrast to these less developed people. The Sattvika are the righteous who act in the world in the true spirit of Yajna. They work for a high ideal beyond their self-centered interest. An ideal could be the welfare of one's community, country, or fellow being, the ultimate ideal being self-realization. When a person works with such lofty ideals, he sheds his desires and consequent mental agitations, sins. He can enjoy the fruits of his action. The Sattvika alone finds true enjoyment and happiness in this world. Thank you, Jonathan. Any questions? We've covered quite a bit today, but the theme was the same. Yagnya sacrifice unselfish actions to a higher ideal. Any questions? By end of chapter six, you'll know exactly what Garma Yoga is. <laughs> It'll be pushed in you from so many different directions, Krishna. See, this is what we have to do. Krishna has to do, tell you in so many different ways, force it into you. Eventually the penny will drop because it's difficult for us as human beings. Mind is attracted to the world so much. So next week we will continue from verse 14. Thank you for joining us. Arunamin. I think on that note, thank you so much for all your classes, all the wild work you put in behind the scenes. And yeah, for all your work. Thank you so much. Yagnya sacrifice. So an action towards a higher ideal that you all also can make a difference <coughs> to your life. So this is Yagnya sacrifice. This is what I'm performing, Yagnya sacrifice. Unselfish action, so higher ideal. I didn't want to give that example, but Arunaban, thank you. <laughs> all right. See you all next week. Have a lovely day. Have Thank you. Enjoy your day.